The world is as divided as it's ever been. We all see it or feel it. The hopelessness, confusion, frustration, the weariness. But it's times like these that matter most. Times like these where we have to decide exactly who we are, who we're going to be, what we're going to do. Where we have to decide, will we shut our doors, fence off our fields, look after our own? Or will we swing wide those doors? Make the whole of the earth our field. Celebrate what makes us different. Hold fast to what makes us one. To plant the seeds of peace, love, of hope. To reach deep with both our hands and scatter those seeds like he told us to. Will we be the people God made us to be? The peacemakers, the lovers of the lost, the light of the world? Will we open our hands, our doors, our lives, our eyes, and work to bring this world what it's longing for? I grew up in coastal Southern California. And where I grew up, it was just developed. Everything was developed or developing. Even the farms that were there were now being paved and houses were being built. And so when I grew up there, it was pretty much pavement from the end of the sand by the ocean all the way to the San Bernardino Mountains. It was just paved and it was, it was malls or strip malls and houses and it was all paved. And so there wasn't a sense of neighborhoods and communities. I live in a little town called Fountain Valley, but there were all these towns around it, and so there wasn't a sense of kind of civic pride or our town. We just lived where we lived, kind of in, in the sprawl outside of Los Angeles. That's where I grew up. I married a wonderful Dutch woman from West Michigan. A different world, trust me, a world away from where I grew up. And when we got married, we sat down, we had that conversation. I call it the marriage compromise conversation. You know, where are we going to land? Where are we going to be? And so, so, well, I grew up in California, and she grew up in Michigan. And so we're going to compromise with my wife. So we're going to compromise. We're moving to Michigan. <laughs> okay, that's what I call the marriage compromise, okay? So, so we ended up with our young family moving to West Michigan to a little town called Byron Center, Michigan. Byron Center had literally one stoplight on the corner of Byron Center Avenue and 84th Street. It was a small town. I never experienced a small town before. And one day, my three boys, Zach and Josh and Nate, came running up to me and said, Dad, 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 we got to go to the Byron Center Parade. It's going to be amazing. Let's go to the Byron Center Parade. So this is about the ages they were at this time. Now, parents, grandparents, 
When your kids or grandkids come to you and say, can we go to the parade, even if you don't want to go, what do you say? You say, I'd love to. Now, you got to understand, I grew up going to the Rose Parade. The Rose Parade was like massive, and they would, you know, this parade has, you know, eight million red petals and all this kind of stuff, and I got bored with the Rose Parade. And now my boys are saying, can we go to the Byron, this small town in the middle of nowhere? I'm thinking, what do they have a parade for? And I knew all the floats, look at me now, all the floats were in the parking lot of the high school. So I went before the parade to see the floats, and trust me, it wasn't the Rose Parade, all right? So I'm thinking, who's coming to this thing? No one's coming to this thing. There's, there's not much to see. So we get there for the parade, and, and it looks like they bust in people from local towns. It's like six people deep along the street there. Any of you ever been to a small town parade? And there's kids, and the kids are sitting on, like, waiting, and they're like Labrador retrievers where their tails are wagging. They're like, these kids are so excited, and they're all, and I'm, and I'm thinking, I know what's coming. I looked in the parking lot. Why, why are these kids so excited? I had no idea why the kids were so excited. Now, if you've been to a small town parade, can anyone tell me in one word, why were the kids excited? Candy. Yeah, I didn't know how it worked, but here's the deal. On every flatbed truck with the, like the junior high volleyball girls team, you know, and every convertible, and on every tractor, there's kids, and they've got buckets full of candy. And these kids have one job. What's their job? Throw the candy, right? Throw the candy. And so I'm sitting there, and I, I kind of, the way my brain works, I'm always studying. I'm always studying people and circumstances and systems, and my brain just analyzes constantly. I don't like it, but it's just, I can't turn it off. And so I'm watching, and I'm studying these kids. I'm watching these kids who have this one job to throw candy. And I discovered there were two distinct kinds of kids. Two very different kinds of kids. Here's one kind of kid. They're sitting on the back of the float. They're on the flatbed, and they're sitting there. They're doing their job, and, they, and so they're going along the, the parade route, and they got one job, throw candy. And these kids, I call them the conservative, cautious, careful kids, right? And they're going down the parade route, and they're like, they're looking for somebody to make eye contact with, right? And then they finally see somebody, and they make eye contact, and then they, they reach into their bucket, and they grab like one candy, right? And they're looking, they're like, you know, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and then they, they, and they keep rolling down the way, and they just keep, and they're just waiting, and then they finally, like, like the, the wind is perfect, the situation's perfect, they've seen the right person, they made the eye contact, and then they carefully throw, good hands right there, they carefully throw a piece of candy. So I'm watching this, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what are these kids thinking? Maybe they're thinking when the parade's over, I get to keep the candy. I don't know what they're thinking, but they're not thinking throw candy, right? They're just, they're just kind of, they're just conservative, cautious, careful. But then, in every flatbed, on every truck, in every convertible, there's also kids that I call reckless, relentless, radical candy throwers. These kids, like, like they just turn out, they, I mean, they just turn out of the parking lot of Byron Center High School, and they're like, ah, and they just start throwing candy, right? They're out of control. Oh, she's getting excited right there. Boom. And they're just, and they're just, they're just throwing candy like they're out of their minds. Didn't, didn't forget you girls. Uh, and they're just, they can't stop themselves. And then I'm thinking, they're going to get like a third of the way down the, down the parade route, and they're going to be out of candy. Because they're just, it's just in them. Oh. 
oh, please, you're about 32, come on. <laughs> and, and, and these ones here, oh, there we go, one more handful. Ready? Ready? Whoa. But these kids are just generous, reckless, radical, out of control, candy-throwing machines. They just can't stop themselves. They all have the same job. Some of them, ooh, Reese's, mmm. Some, some, oh, we got, uh, yes, pray, pray, praise the Lord. I see that hand, brother. I see that hand, sister. We're receiving Jesus. Praise the Lord. Um, so, so, they all have the same job. They all have the same job. But some of them have got it, and some of them don't. As I was sitting there that day, near the corner of Byron Center and 84th Street in Byron Center, Michigan. Something from the Word of God just came up in my soul. Something hit me that had never hit me before. Have you ever had that experience where you've read a passage of the Bible five times, a hundred times, five hundred times, you've heard it preached on, you've thought about it, but all of a sudden you have a new insight. You're like, you finally have this moment where you go, oh, I, I get it. I see it in a whole fresh new way. That's what happened for me sitting on that curb and watching this parade unfold, but watching these different kinds of kids. So I want you to listen again to this passage you heard a moment ago. And just quiet your heart and listen. I want you to get a picture, because this is a picture that Jesus is painting of you and me once we've met him, once we know him. Because see, when you come to know Jesus, you don't have a bucket of candy, but you've got an ocean of grace. You got an ocean of truth. You have life everlasting that we're going to celebrate. People going under the water and coming out. You've been changed forever. And you have something to scatter way more important than candy. And Jesus is really talking about, he's giving this picture, this agricultural picture that ties into a spiritual reality. So I want you to just listen to this passage and notice something really weird, really strange, really unusual in the Word of God. All right? Something's going on here that is really strange. Listen closely. While a large crowd was gathering, people were coming to Jesus from town after town. He told them this parable. He told them this story. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he scattered the seed, as he scattered it, some fell on the path. It was trampled on. The birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. And it came up and yielded the crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he had said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Oh God, that's our prayer today. That you would give us ears to hear that your word would come alive in a fresh new way. Whether we're hearing this passage for the first time in our life, some, Lord, may have never heard the story before, or whether we're hearing the story for the hundredth time, I pray it will come alive in a powerful way in each of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you work in the agricultural world. My congregation that I pastor, about a third of our congregation, is in the Salinas Valley, and it is some of the richest, most fertile farm ground in the world. So we have a lot of agricultural people in, in our church, a lot of ag folks who work uh, in, the, in that community, but also go to our church. So I've learned from them some things about farming. And in the modern world and in the ancient world, 
Nobody threw seed on paths. Nobody threw seed in the weeds. Nobody threw seed in the thorns. When people plant seed, I mean, right now, people that do farming, they know if they want the best possible payoff for their investment, they know when to plant, how far apart, how deep, how much water. There's a science to it. And in the ancient world, people, people lived season to season on what they brought in. They lived on it. So when they would plant their seeds, those seeds were precious. And they would plant them carefully. And if there, there, there were some seed that would be broadcast or scattered, but they would prepare the soil. They would do all they could, but they wouldn't just go walking around throwing seed in the weeds and throwing seed on it. Just, that's just not how it worked. So people in the ancient world who would hear this story, uh, they, they would have thought, what's wrong with this farmer? I, I put it this way. This farmer was a seed-throwing machine. He was reckless, bold, and relentless. The farmer in this story just throws seed. Doesn't seem to be concerned about the, about the condition of the soil. And some of the seed didn't bring a harvest. But oh, some of it did. When that seed hit good soil, it multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. So I want to ask you three questions. And as a pastor, I'm asking, I'm letting you know in advance, I'm asking these questions I want you to answer with me. I want you to answer out loud when you have the answer, okay? So if, here's the picture. In this, in this parable, the seed is the word of God. The, the seed is the truth of the gospel of Jesus. The seed is that very thing, the truth of the gospel of Jesus, that changed the lives of all the people you saw up on these screens, young and old alike. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his good news. Salvation found in his name alone. That's the seed. And the farmer is you once you meet Jesus. Some of you aren't Christians yet. Some of you are online, some of you are here on campus, and you've never met Jesus. You might be here to be with family or friends and to enjoy a baptism, but you don't believe. But I'll tell you, when a person does become a follower of Jesus, whether they're seven years old or 77, they become those farmers that scatter the seed. So if the seed is the good news of the gospel, and if we are the farmers, with that in mind, listen to the first question. In light of this passage... Where should we throw the seed of God's love, of God's grace, and the message of Jesus? Where should we throw it? What's the answer according to this passage? Everywhere. Right? Not, not... Hmm, she doesn't look... No, nah, she's not ready. Not him. Uh, way too tough. They just... They're, no, 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 no. Well, well, not that. Everywhere. And then, and then here's the second question. Here's the second question. When should we throw the seed of God's love, grace, and the message of Jesus? When should we do that? What's the answer? Everywhere, all the time. That's, that's this picture that Jesus is painting for us. Now, here's the third question. This one's trickier. But I want you to really ponder this for a minute. Okay, here's my third question. Why should we throw the seed of God's love, God's grace, and the good news, even when the soil might not look receptive? Why would you throw seed in the weeds? Why would you throw seed on a path? Why would you throw seed where it doesn't seem there's any moisture? And as best I can tell, I think this is the answer. Because we are not smart enough to know when the soil is ready. We're not smart enough to know when the soil is ready. You say, well, you're a guest pastor and you're telling me I'm not smart? You came all the way to Chowchilla to tell me I'm not smart. No, I'm not telling you you're not smart. I'm just telling you you're not smart enough. All right? You're not smart enough to look at another human being and know what's happening in their heart. 
You can't, look at, you can't look at a person and say, I know where she's at. I know her heart's ready, so I'll drop a couple seeds. You're not smart enough to know they're not ready. I'm going to hold back. And because we're not smart enough, we just are called to scatter the seed everywhere we go all the time. And can I tell you, I thank God for the people that looked at me when I was 15, almost 16 years old, and didn't ask the question, does he look ready? Because I will guarantee you, I didn't. I did not look ready for one seed of God's good news to fall deep in my heart. But you know what God did? He surrounded me with people who just kept scattering the seed of love and of truth and of grace. My sister Gretchen, who had become a follower of Jesus. I grew up in an atheistic family. Five kids, no believers. We, were, we, we grew up in sort of an atheistic, um, agnostic kind of a family. Over time, all five of the kids in our family have become Christians, and three of us have gone into ministry. My dad became a Christian before he, he died. Yeah, so that's, that's the power of God. And every, every person you're going to see baptized here today, you celebrate that, but you say, that's the power of God. Change life, changing lives is God's business. But here's the deal. My sister Gretchen, she became a follower of Jesus. You know what she started doing? She just started in her own Gretchen way. My sister Gretchen is one of the most painfully shy people you will ever meet in your life. If there's a group of three people, it's a crowd, she won't talk. Isn't this true? Yeah, and these guys know my... And if it's one-on-one, -on -one, she'll talk, but only a little bit. She'll start to open up. She's just very, very shy. But in her own way, the way that God made her, when she became a Christian, she started just sort of scattering some seeds. And my sister Gretchen, my quiet, shy sister Gretchen, just, just kind of a couple acts of service and kindness to me. She would just kind of be kind to me. I still was mean to her. My sister Gretchen, before she became a Christian, we had a perfect relationship. We knew how it worked. I didn't like her. She didn't like me. We fought all the time. It was easy. Everybody knew. Everybody. Then she starts being nice, and she's being kind and just showing kindness. Then she starts listening to all this music, uh, Benny Hester Band and, and uh, Daryl Mansfield and Sweet Comfort. Remember this? And she's, and it, but she'd play it just loud enough for me to hear, right? And I'd say, Gretchen, turn off that stuff. And she said, well, no, because... And she'd say, well, you know, kind of the, the message of this song is kind of about this. And she just... She just would scatter some seeds. God put her in my life. I kept pushing back, and she just kept scattering. And you know what? I didn't look like good soil. And then she invited me to go to her youth group, which is where I met these two over here, Doug and Lisa. And Doug, and I've, sh and I've, shared, this, I've shared this message, and I've shared this story in Tasmania, Australia, and from the pulpit of Moody Bible Church in Chicago and all over the world. It's the first time I get to share this story in front of the person who God used in my life. But this guy, Doug Drainville, came along. <laughs> hey, I'm excited! You know, uh, he, just, he just started shoveling. He wasn't too subtle. But he just started shoveling seed into my life. And, and, he, and he said to me, he had this cool little Volkswagen Beetle. What year Beetle was that? 69 Beetle. So he'd had it for about one year. No, no, but, it's, but it's like this, this, this 69 Beetle. And he said, hey, if you, can, if you can get a hold of me, I'll drive you anywhere you want to go. Now, for you young people, these are back in the days where phones were connected to a wall with a cord. Some of you remember that, right? Where, you know, so I, I, but if I called him and he was home and he answered the phone, he'd say, yeah. And he would drive down. Was it Westminster Garden Grove, wherever you live? He'd drive down, pick me up, drive me to my girlfriend's house, and then drop me off. He said, if you can get a hold of me later, I'll drive you home again. I don't know how many times you did that. But I know this, I never offered him a penny for gas. 
And I'm not sure if I almost ever said thank you. I was hard-hearted, it seemed. I was resistant, it seemed. But when we were, when we were in his car, he talked about his girlfriend. He talked about your brother had passed away a short time before. They talked about his family. And he talked about Jesus. Because he had met Jesus. And Jesus had changed his life and was changing his life. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a pastor at the time. He was just a college guy with, if you can picture it, a big white guy afro. Remember that? You had to be a big... <laughs> and... Uh, Ask him for a picture someday. It's awesome. <laughs> but, uh, but he just kept scattering seed. And then the youth pastor at the church, a guy named Dan, each time I'd come to this youth group, he would just tell stories of Jesus and talk about Jesus. Now, here's the thing. If you would have looked at me, I was a surf punk, had hair about down to here, didn't really care about anybody except for myself. If you looked at me and said, does that look like good soil? You would have never thrown a single seed my way. But Gretchen and Doug and Dan and others just started scattering seeds and loving and sharing and praying and encouraging and serving in natural ways. And you know what? What looked like rock-hard soil was actually an open, soft heart on the inside. And those seeds took root and I was changed forever because somebody dared to just scatter some seed the way God's called us to. I've never been the same. That same summer, end of the summer, I prayed to receive Jesus. The same day I prayed to receive Jesus. My first prayer ever, for you that have grown up in church, my first prayer ever was to become a Christian and receive Jesus. I'd never prayed before. I don't think I'd ever held a Bible. I was not a C.S. Lewis that fought my way to Jesus. I saw Jesus and people like Doug and Gretchen and Dan. I encountered Jesus before I met Jesus. They scattered the seed of his love, and I gave my heart to Jesus. And I've been changed forever. So that day was my first prayer to become a Christian. You know what my second prayer was? I was laying on top of this houseboat in the Sacramento Delta, Delta here at this youth event. And, and I was laying on there, and I was actually looking up at the sky. I said, okay, God, what do I do now? My first prayer was I believe in Jesus. My second prayer was what do I do now? And I heard God speak to me, not with my ears, but in my heart, as clear as possible. Here's what he said. Spend the rest of your life telling people about Jesus, or you'll be miserable. That seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm only 15. Spend the rest of your life telling people about Jesus, or you'll be miserable. But you know, it made sense to me. I didn't want to be miserable. And so I actually asked the youth leaders. I said, what do I have to do to become a pastor? That was the next morning. One of the guys says to me, dude, you've been a Christian like six and a half hours. <laughs> I said, yeah, I got to become a pastor. I got to tell other people about Jesus. And then the message was, well, you should probably graduate from high school. I was failing out at 0.75 that year in high school. 0.75. I don't know if you know how that works, but that's not good. And so, uh, uh, but, but can I tell you something? I, I praise God. I praise God that he sent people into my life who didn't look to see if the soil looked right. They just scattered the seed. They loved and served and shared. And, and, and that's the heartbeat of it all. In Luke 9, 23 and 24, these are the words of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said. Then Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, if you want to be my follower, my person in this world, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, will give it away. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. And guess what? Other people will come to know Jesus too. Now, this is the invitation of Jesus. Sometimes people will say, well, I don't scatter the seed. I don't share my faith. That's not my thing. It makes me feel uncomfortable. But here's my question. At what point in the history of the world did following Jesus become something we're supposed to be comfortable with all the time? 
Makes us uncomfortable sometimes, right? It's challenging sometimes to scatter the seed, especially when the soil doesn't look good. But here's the beauty of it. You're not responsible for that seed to take root and grow. All you're responsible to do is scatter it. That's all you do. Matter of fact, even if you wanted to, you couldn't save anybody because you didn't die on the cross and you didn't rise again. Last time I checked, only Jesus. Someone say amen. amen. Only Jesus died in the world. You can't save anybody, but you can scatter the seed everywhere you go all the time. This is the invitation of Jesus, a call to reckless faith that costs everything. And so you as a church, you've been talking about these seven markers of spiritual growth, Bible engagement, passionate prayer. What's it mean to grow up in faith? Wholehearted worship, consistent community, being with God's people. You're going to have a lot of chances at lunch. And please, everyone stay for lunch. It's just a short time from now, even if it's before lunchtime, come and join everybody. It's, I got some plan at home, eat a little bit here, hang out, then go eat at home. You can eat twice today. You can be a hobbit. First and second lunch. But, uh, but just hang out, hang out here and be here. You know, consist, get connected in community. Humble service. When you're growing in faith, you grow in humbly serving. Joyful generosity. You scatter not just the gospel, but what God's put in your hands. Organic outreach, naturally sharing your faith. So I want to ask one question today, and I want to give you four quick answers. And that is, how do you here at Cornerstone Church take that next step in scattering the gospel, scattering the love of Jesus? Because here's what I know. Every single person here wants to do that. If you know Jesus, you have people in your life that you love, that you care about, that you want to know Jesus. For my sister Gretchen, it was me all those years ago. And then Doug joined in, and others joined in, and became part of that journey of scattering seed into my life. And you get to do the same thing for other people. And so here's the question. How can you, as individuals and as a congregation here at Cornerstone Church, scatter the seed of the gospel with greater passion and freedom? Here's the first thing. Love people as Jesus does. Just love people well. Who? Everybody. You know, what, you know what upset the religious leaders of Jesus' day the most? Is that Jesus liked people who were unlikable, who were outcast. And you know what really bugged the religious leaders of Jesus' day? Not just that he liked them, but guess what? They liked him. Love people right where they are. Don't wait for them to clean up, pull themselves together, Love them right where they are because that's what Jesus did. You can scatter the seed of the gospel by committing yourself to love every single person you encounter. When we checked in last night in our, our little hotel that's about uh, a minute and a half walk from here, there was a gal working there last night and you could tell she was having a busy time. She was dealing with some on the phone and a lot of stuff was going on. But my first thought was, how can I bring a smile to her face? And then she asked me why we were in town. I got to say, I'm going to be preaching right over at Cornerstone Church. But just a, just a little seed of love and care to every single person you meet. You can do that. That's something we can all do. How do you as individuals and as a church scatter the seed of the gospel? Here's the second thing. Pray for and with people when God opens the door. Who do you have in your life that doesn't know Jesus and you want them to know Jesus? Every single day, Lord Jesus, touch their heart. Lord Jesus, draw them to yourself. Every single day, just pray for them. Soften their heart. Pray for yourself. Let me share your love in a new way. Let me tell your story. Let me tell them how, God, you're changing my life. Give me boldness and courage. Pray for them. And I'm going to give you another thing today that you can do starting today that some of you have never done, but it's not that hard. And that is pray with people that don't know Jesus. One of the best things you could ever do is pray with someone. Long before, when I was just as a young Christian, I remember the first time I asked my mom, and when my mom, mom and dad, when it came to Jesus, my mom was actually the tougher one. Very hard-hearted. I remember the first time I looked at my mom and she was talking about a struggle in her life and a struggle in a relationship. 
And she was just telling me about what was going on. I said, Mom, I said, I believe that God has power to help you in that situation. Would it be okay? I would just love it if I could take a minute and just pray with you right now. And she looked at me and she thought about it, pondered it for a minute. She goes, okay. And so I prayed for my mom for the first time with her, holding her hand. And after the prayer, I looked at her and there were tears streaming down her face. See, you can't get everybody to come to church all the time, but you can bring Jesus to them. And there's power in your prayers. So here's my challenge. The next time you're talking with a friend, a family member, a person you work with who's not a Christian, and they share an incredible pain or struggle in their life. Man, I'm going through this. My, my daughter just got this diagnosis. My son's going through this. I got a wayward child, whatever it is. Will you just at that moment have the courage to look at them and say, you know, I don't know if you're into the whole God thing, but you know, you know, I, you know I am. But I believe there's power in prayer, and I would be so honored if I could take about 30 seconds and just say a prayer for that situation for you. Can I tell you something standing here? My wife and I, we've done that thousands of times with non-believers. I've done it with atheists, communists. I've done it thousands of times. I've only had four times somebody said no. Only four. And actually, they didn't kill me, shoot me, or beat me up. They just said, no, thank you. That's not my thing. And guess what? That's not suffering for Jesus. That's just no thank you. But thousands have said yes. And in every one of those moments, God shows up. When someone shares a deep pain or a great joy, just found out I'm a grandpa. Oh, that's great. Man, congratulations. Would you mind if I took a second and prayed for you? as a little boy or girl, a little grandson. Can I just take a second and pray for your grandson and pray for you to be able to just be a wonderful grandpa? Oh, sure. Yeah, why not? First time I asked my dad if I could pray for him, you know what he said? Couldn't hurt. But the last time I prayed with my dad was when I became a Christian. Over 40 years later, you scatter, and you scatter, and you scatter. You love, and you pray. And here's the third thing. How can we, as individuals, how can you as a congregation scatter the seed of the gospel, engage freely and often in spiritual conversations? God is moving in your life. God is doing things. Tell those stories. Tell the people in your life who aren't Christians about what God's doing in your life. They tell you about their sports teams they like. They tell you about where they went out, you know, eating or drinking. They tell you about, they tell you about all kinds of stuff. Tell them what God's doing in your life. I'm in a time right now where I'm meeting with my, all, my, all the pastors on our staff and all of our board members one-on-one -on -one with every one of them this month for half an hour. And one of the questions I'm asking them is, where is God moving? Where is God at work? And every single one of them can, is telling me amazing stories. Can I tell you two or three stories where God's at work? God is real. God's alive. Amen? He's doing things in your life, so share those things. Share with non-believers about answered prayer, things you prayed for and God showed up. Tell those stories. They may think you're crazy, but here's the, here's the big problem with Christianity in our world today. Most non-Christians don't believe that you believe what you say you believe. Did you follow me? Most non-Christians, they don't believe you really believe what you say you believe. They think you're playing church. They think you're doing religion. They don't know that there's power in the gospel. They don't know that Jesus has changed your life. How are they going to know? You tell them your stories. And when they hear a person talk about how, when, when I met Doug, and he started talking about how his life was being changed by Jesus, turned upside down. I thought, well, either he's crazy or this is real. And he was a little crazy. 
But I also thought, I think this is real. It was your life and Gretchen's life and these other people who, who just lived for Jesus and talked about their faith like it was real. That made me think, could this be real? And if there's a God, could he love me too? If there's a God, could he wash me clean too? It was their stories. I didn't think my way to Jesus. I met Jesus in real people. And before I met Jesus, I saw him. And then when I met him, oh, everything changed. See, you can love people. And you can pray for people. And you can share your stories because God's working in your life. And then last and finally, how do we as individuals as a church scatter our story? You don't just tell your story, but you tell his story. You tell the story of Jesus again and again and again. The last time I saw my dad, it was during COVID. My dad died a month after I saw him, not of COVID, but during COVID. He was living on the East Coast. I was living on the West Coast. And I said to Sherry, we got to go see my dad one more time. we got to go tell the story one more time. So he's got to hear about the love of God and the, the work of Jesus on the cross one more time. He'd heard it hundreds of times because by then, all five of his kids were Christians. And we shared with him again and again. But he always said, no, thank you. They were rolling him on a gurney and for a surgery. They said, you got, he's like 30% chance of, 40% chance of coming out alive. And so gospel was shared one more time. Dad, are you ready? Not now, as they roll him off into surgery. Years of this. But I said to Sherry, we got to go, we got to fly to North Carolina. We got to spend time with my dad. He was in, in doing chemo and radiation for cancer. And so we had two days with him. The first day, he pretty much slept and was out of it the whole day. The, the medication was just too much for him. The second day, there was one point where my sister who was there, she headed out to do some shopping. I said, we'll hang out with dad. He was kind of punchy again, not real focused. And then he had one of these chairs where you push the button and it kind of brings you from laying, sitting down, you know, kind of set himself right up. And for about an hour and a half, my dad was absolutely himself again. Sharp as anything, clear-eyed. And, and we just started talking. And I had brought with him a book that I wrote about how to share your faith. And I said, dad, I want you to have a copy of this book you know, this is my life's work is helping people. I spend my life helping people share about Jesus. So here's, the, here's this book I wrote called Organic Art for Ordinary People. Here it is in English. So here it is in Spanish. Here it is in Telugu. Here it is in Hindi. Here it is in Tamil. I gave him a stack of the same book. I said, I said, there's people all over the world that are trying to learn to, to do what I want to do with you right now. I said, in this book, I lay out how you can tell the whole story of Jesus in eight words. The whole, if you say, I don't, know how to tell, I don't know how to tell people about Jesus. I said, I can tell you the whole story of Jesus in eight words. Can I do that, Dad? And he goes, sure. Again, he was just sharp there. So okay, here's the first two words, God's love. For God so loved the world. This is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us. And send the Son as the atoning sacrifice. It's a scripture. It starts, before we ever thought about God, we were all rebels. He loved us anyways, right? So I just talked about God's love. That's the first two, God's love. I said, there is a God who knows everything about you, Dad, and he loves you. So here's the next two words. Our problem. We have a problem. It's called sin, and we're separate from God. Our thoughts that we shouldn't think, our words that we shouldn't speak, the, the deeds that we shouldn't do, all these things, the good things we should do that we just go, who cares? Those are all sins. I said, and those sins separate us from God. So I talked about God's love and our problem, sin. And I said, Dad, because of your sin, because of our sin, we're all separate from God. But then we get back to God again. The next two words, God's solution. God's solution is Jesus Christ. God who came among us, Emmanuel, God who died on the cross for our sins in our place to take our pain and our sin and our shame and wash it away. Jesus who rose from the dead to conquer sin and death and hell. So I talked to my dad about God's love, 
our problem, God's solution, Jesus. I said, Dad, the only part that you haven't understood is our response. It's the last two words, our response. I said, Dad, you've heard about Jesus so many times from all five of your kids now. But you've always said no. You've always said not today. You've always said not now. I said, Dad, are you ready today to confess your sins and to receive Jesus and to follow him with all the life you have left? And I was totally braced and ready for him to say no again for the hundredth time. And my dad, I said, Dad, are you ready to receive Jesus? He looked at me, he says this. He goes, absolutely. Yeah. So, so you know what I did? I said, Dad, let me explain it again. I did. And I, and I said, God's love, our problem, God's solution, our response. Dad, are you really ready? And he said, yes. And my wife and I got to pray with my dad. And the man who by blood brought me into this world, by the blood of Jesus and his resurrection power, became my brother. And for the next 30 days, my sister Lisa discipled him. She called all five of us kids and said, give me your five favorite Bible passages. And every day she'd go and spend time with them. He'd open the word of God and she'd say, okay, this is one of, one of my favorite passages. This is one of Jason's favorite passages. This is one of Allison's. And every day they'd read the word of God together. And after 30 days, my dad saw Jesus face to face and went to be with him forever. But that was 40 years of praying and scattering and scattering and scattering. And so, as you walk through this world, don't be this person waiting. She's not ready. He's not ready. Wrong situation. Too embarrassing. I'm too nervous. Just scatter. Just throw the seed. Lord Jesus, this is our prayer. This is our prayer that as people who are growing as disciples, as your followers, we know that as we grow up in you, we take your hand, we walk with you, that Jesus, if we grow with you, we do go with you. Even as Pastor Logan was saying, Lord, as we grow up in faith, we have to go where you go because we're holding your hand. And like a child who holds the hand of a parent, Lord Jesus, we only go where you go because we're locked to you. And you're always going to the lost, to the broken, to the hurting, to the forgotten. You're always going to those places that look like weedy soil and hard soil, but God, we don't know. And so I pray each person here today will hear your spirit speak to their heart. And I'm going to ask you to do something. If you have someone in your life right now that you just so much want to know Jesus, it could be a child who's wandered, it could be a parent, it could be a friend at work. If you have a friend who you just want to know Jesus desperately, would you raise your hand just for a second? Raise your hand and say, I got somebody in my heart right now. And just hold it up there for a minute. Keep that hand in the air, okay? With our hands lifted up, and I got my hand, I'm going to raise both my hands because I got a whole bunch of people. I still got a lot of family that don't know Jesus. Lord Jesus, we're raising our hands right now to say, there's someone you put in our life. You put us in their life. And they need to know you love them. They need to know that you died and rose again. They need to know that your grace is enough for them. So we raise our hand not only to say we know someone, we raise our hand to say, choose me, God. Like a kid in school, we say, pick me, teacher, pick me. God, send me to share your love, to serve them well, to pray with them, to pray for them, to tell my story and to tell your story, Lord Jesus. Use me. Send me. And Lord, Lord I pray for every person who is listening online and here on campus today, that each single, every single person would be consumed with a commitment to scatter the seed of the gospel freely, not holding back for ourselves, not holding back out of fear, 
And then, Lord, do what only you can do. Only you can let that seed touch soft hearts. Only you can change the light. But, God, we get to scatter. May it become the joy of our hearts and the passion of our lives. If you're committed to do this and try a little bit more to scatter the seed, will you please say amen? Amen. amen. God bless you.